Welcome to the Genazo Podcast, where you get to peek behind the curtains of what it takes to create and run a seven-figure fitness facility that ranks in the top 5% of boutique fitness studios for revenue. But to be honest, that's the least important thing about us. Founded by me, Michael Hughes, Gymnazo has created an ecosystem of services that blend performance with restoration techniques and attracts top coaches to its facility. Hosted by its owners, Peyton and myself, and our top coaches. This podcast shares our best practices on everything from how to build a sustainable fitness business to how to program for maximum results to how to build a hybrid training module that's online and in person. We have marketing secrets, movement innovation, and breaking down trends in the industry. If you're a fitness professional or a fitness business owner, this is where you learn how to sharpen your skills and to see maximum results. What's happening, y'all? Welcome back to the Gymnazo Podcast. We are your hosts, CJ Kobliska. And Kalina Ruskin. Welcome to the show. Uh, we are going to go through a deep dive, rabbit hole, swim into the matrix of what is nomenclature, um, how we use it, why we use it, why we find that it's, it's one, actually one of the most important tools that we have as coaches, at least here at Gymnazo, and I think in the future of fitness to help us walk similar paths and not only compete with each other, but also cooperate with each other and grow and learn together. So we don't necessarily have anything planned on how exactly we're going to dive into this because it is such a broad topic, but uh, we're going to try to localize some points, focalize some points so that uh, if you are a coach or you are an athlete, which every single one of us are athletes, if we can move, we are in the sport of life, uh, this will help you communicate to your body on a deeper level level. And it may at first feel restricting, uh, and other times it may feel overwhelming because of the limitless nature of the nomenclature as it is a living, breathing thing. It's not set in stone, uh, especially not the Rosetta Stone. It can be put in all different languages. But uh, let's, let's, start with, uh, so cool. let's start with the simplest part. And I think Kalina um, said she was going to ask me this question, but I kind of want to ask her this question because I think uh, it's important that we have, we have similar and differing perspectives on it. What the hell is nomenclature? What does it even mean? Nomenclature, to me, is our written movement language. So when you're describing an exercise, we actually have a written form of what that looks like. And it's consistent so that when you, any, any person who reads it understands what the motion is. So not just a sagittal plane lunge, but okay, is it an anterior or posterior lunge? When we say frontal plane lunge, is it a same side lateral lunge or opposite side lateral lunge? Or for rotational lunges, a transverse plane lunge, is it same side rotational or is it opposite side rotational? Um, and then combining that with reaches. I think for us as coaches, and for me, I'm, I'm very uh, type A and organized, so to have have something that is more like a legend or a key to movement is important and it provides consistency for your training because there's all I feel like there's like subtle tweaks you know there's subtle differences every time you go to practice movement or you go to exercise and it's it's nice to have something to look back on and be like, oh yeah, this is exactly what I did. Uh, or even working with clients, you know, very specifics of what we got into uh, to make sure that we but to me, nomenclature is a written movement language. So you can read it and you can visualize exactly what hmm. every joint and every muscle in the body is doing at that point in time. What is nomenclature to you? I mean, you, you got it directly. But I think it's, it's as far as the simplicity of it, it's just naming something. It's, it's putting a name to something. And I think there's so many different nomenclatures that exist uh, 
so many different systems of naming things that exist. You go to different methodologies. Let's say you go to a kettlebell cert, or you're going to go learn the steel mace flow, or you're going to go learn animal flow, or you're going to go learn the TRX, or you're going to go learn some Olympic lifting, uh, functional movements. Uh, there's nomenclature for it. Sports have their nomenclature as well. For your position, you've got a nomenclature. Uh, it's a shorthand form of stuff too, so you can quickly reference something and you do have a visualization. You have some. You have an idea of what that's going to look like, a picture of it. And a lot of times, I think uh, we either go there too quickly, we name something right off the bat and say, that's the name of it, and it limits it, um, or we wait too long and it kind of just fizzles out and the, the, the motion doesn't really necessarily have a name. And I think the, the prime example of uh, a system that does work is something like steel mace flow because you've got people across the world from speak different languages. They're from different backgrounds, um, different styles of mace swinging and traditional versus more functional versus more dynamic versus more performing art style. Um, you can get the message across with by saying, okay, I'm going to do a cross body low switch. If you're in the mace flow community, you have an idea of what that looks like. And is it specifically this or is it specifically that? I think that's where the document of nomenclature continues to grow is that there is room, there's wiggle room for interpretation. Um, And nomenclature in the sense is just a naming of something. And so how we've done it at Gymnazo is we've set a framework, a grid of 3D space. We didn't set it. We just are using that as our framework, as our grid. You know, we've got... Uh, every personal trainer goes through some level of understanding the sagittal plane, the frontal plane, and the transverse plane. And maybe not necessarily understanding it, but at least having a visual of like, okay, there's something that splits us into our right and left side. There's something that splits us into our front and back side. And there's something that splits us from a top and a bottom. It kind of gives us a reductionist view of all the things going on. So I think where we, where we can start with this conversation for our, our extent is... Um, what does the framework, if you had to describe the framework of gymnasio um, nomenclature, it comes from Applied Functional Science, mm-hmm. um, Great Institute, but we have definitely grown it because of the equipment we use, um, the people we train, and then the things that we want to progress. And so I guess my question to you, Kalino, or something we can dive into is if you had a visual representation or a way to kind of pull somebody who has no idea what this whole 3D nomenclature is, um, doesn't come from the personal training side. They're just, let's say they're 45 years old. They've kind of done some functional training here and there, or some hit style training, some CrossFit here and there, but they never really understood the language. They know like a curl and a press and swing. How can we pull people into this web of understanding, this, this language that we use here? It's cool because nomenclature is a language that you can feel. Right, like you move through it. So you can articulate what you're doing as you're doing it. And so that's how I like to like bring nomenclature into our workouts, even describing it, using the same language that's, you know, we we have our, for our workouts, we have nomenclature up on a board that's displayed for everybody. Really, it's there for the coaches so that we can remember what we're doing and see that and have reminders. But I love when clients try and figure it out. They're like, what does this mean up here? <laughs> but So they're understanding their own sort of like body movement and awareness and bringing people into that is kind of fun because not everybody is connected with their body or has an understanding of what they're capable of and how to move through 3D motion. So it's fun to articulate that and then see them kind of like go through that process. And, you know, as coaches and trainers, we've all had that client who just, (laughs) oh yeah, I want you to take a a one step forward with your right foot. It's like left foot goes backwards. Like, oh, so close. Uh, (laughs) So close. So it's a good way to like get them to feel and articulate what their bodies are actually doing. Um, 
I think athletes have more nomenclature awareness just inherently because you're more in tune with that, but loving to just articulate and then having them experience it. It's literally just like anything else learning a new language. You have to like be in it and experience it and talk through it in order to understand it. Yeah. And be, I think being in it, what does that mean? You know, so uh, I think what I jump into here is, is we are all surrounded by a giant sphere of potential. There's, if you were to reach your arms up right now, that's what you say is the top of your sphere. If you reach your arms out to the sides of you, like you give somebody a big old hug, that's the sides of your sphere. And then if you try and reach down to the ground and touch, that's the bottom of your sphere when you're on flat ground. And then you can also reach out in front of you the front of your sphere and you can try to reach behind you or you can turn and reach behind and there's the back of your sphere. So we have reference points and many individuals have not addressed this potential. It just exists, uh, but we don't have any way to communicate to that potential. It's just, I do the things that I do and I've always done them this way and this is how I do things. And I think the first step that we typically will take is that we're going to become aware of how aware this person is in their sphere. And that's how we can start to merge this language or, or more so bridge the gap from where they are to where they want to be, also where we see that they can be or what's holding them back from there, where they want to be. So recognizing that there's an environment that we are within, and that's a sphere. We're on a sphere. We're inside of a sphere. We've got spheres within us. If we can start with that level of awareness, we can at least then build from there. So we start with the environment, and we'll go into some of the, the observational essentials which we've gone in the past because I think it's important in the nomenclature is the that those things are always there, even if they're not written, they're kind of given. Um, we know that we're in an environment, and your environment could be a pool, your environment could be uh, the ground, it could be the grass, it could be on top of a mountain, it could be on top of a box, on a wedge, um, and that changes our sphere of potential, right? Um, when we're talking about, when we're telling ourselves to move, when you're telling yourself to move, and you know that you're in an environment, you've stepped in, what then is the next thing you've got to address if you're going to go move. Uh, what does that, how does that, what does that make sense to you in terms of how you will then take your, your first step or your reach or your, what's a word we can use for that? An action. We need an action. We need something to do in an our action. environment. Yeah. Right. You want, you want to dive into actions, like things that we could potentially do, at least how we use the nomenclature? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it, it'll be cool to touch on like, there's a formula for it, right? Like there's totally. a specific order in which we nomenclate because it flows better. Right. And, and, um, I'm sure we'll dive into this later, but like why nomenclature, nomenclature is so important for consistency within our facility so that every coach knows exactly what's going on and it doesn't have, you know, it's consistent. It's not different between one coach and the next on what this move looks like. We know exactly your starting position, your environment, and then what's the action. Um, are we doing a reach? Are we doing a pull? Are we doing a lunge? Are we doing a squat? Are we pushing? Are we doing pull-ups? Are we doing a bench press? Are we doing a deadlift? Like you need some sort of action. Are you jumping, hopping, chopping? Like all of these different actions have been nomenclated, but it tells you exactly what you're doing. So we have an action, and in terms of exercise nomenclature, like Kalina said, is it a lunge? Is it a squat? There's eight of them that we, we pick from. Say that there's lunges, there's squats, there's pushes, there's pulls, there's lifts, there's reaches, and there's locomotion and there's vertimotion. And pretty much everything that we can do in terms of an exercise, in terms of movement, which is limitless, can fit inside one of those categories. If it doesn't fit in one of those categories, I want to know. We need to expand our list. Like I said, it's a growing document of words. So at least we have that framework saying these are the things that we can do as humans. 
Now, how do we do that? And not going to the philosophical side of things, but we just go into what are ways that in which we can do that. And if we think about our our framework of our 3D sphere, we can think that there's uh, there's heights we can go, there's directions we can go, there's distances we can go, like an X and a Y and a Z within that plane. So whatever action you do, it's got three three coordinates. It's got a triangulation. So we'd say that those three are also very important when we're going into nomenclature, like how high are you going to go or how low, how far are you going to go, how close from your body or from your starting point, and then in what direction. Cool. So we've got uh, we've got a, damn, <laughs> we've got environment, we've got a action, and we've got triangulation. Yep. So I was, I was going to go to this, but you want to talk about drivers? Drivers, yeah. What is actually driving the motion or leading, leading the motion? Um, is it your nose? Is it your eyes? Is it your hand? Is it your foot? Is it your chest? Is it your butt? Like there are all different types of drivers that um, start your motion or start your action that we go through. And then again, it's like, okay, but that we use that triangulation. Where does that driver go? There we go. Dive into, dive into that. Like what is your <laughs> favorite? You, you know, if you guys don't know, CJ is the director of programming for gymnasium and he comes up with all of our workouts and they're just, they're just badass. But you know, do you have a, a process for how you select your drivers? Drivers, I yeah, there's certainly a rhyme and a reason to it, and then also some just creativity to some pieces. But I think, what are our daily drivers? What are our what are our initiators of action? Let's say some of the thing that we do most of in our day is gait. We walk. We go from point A to point B. We've got a foot that could be a driver. So in walking, our foot takes a step forward, and then our next take, foot takes a step forward. Sometimes we got to step over something, so that foot has to drive it in a different way or a different height. Sometimes we got to go upstairs or downstairs, so it's stepping down. Um, so I like to think I need to include foot drivers because we need to be aware of how we tell our foot what to do. Uh, we also have um, our eyes as drivers. We look around in our, our environment and are often scanning, if not all the time scanning. A lot of times we're at the computer and our eyes are just looking straight ahead and they're driving through a sentence or reading something, right? But we're out in everyday life and there's cars going, we're crossing streets, we've got kids, we've got there's a lot of things happening, we got to see what's around us. So eyes can be a big driver of movement and something that I include in a lot of my training and a lot of one-on-one training. In group, it can get fun as a tweak if there's too many cues out there, it might be off, offhand. But eyes as drivers, and especially the hands. Um, hands, if you later look at the, uh, you know, the homunculus, it's like the diagram of uh, a human body and how much space it takes up in the brain. Mm-hmm. It's like this funky-looking creature with giant hands, big old lips, and like eyes. Like All these, these really big parts of the body are the ones that have the most space in the brain, like most nerves and associated pathways. So I have to think the feet, the hands, the eyes, if they have that much of an impact in our brain, we need to include them in our training. Mm -hmm. So foot reaches, hand reaches, and eyes in different positions. It's amazing what happens when you squat looking straight ahead versus squatting while you look to your left or to your right. Mm -hmm. If you want your max power output, you probably should look straight ahead or find something that's very stable. But if you want to start to challenge some of the deeper dimensions of stability and affecting different parts of your brain, just turn your eyes and doing whatever lift you're doing, you're going to be like, that was significantly different, different challenge. So in terms of drivers, definitely feet, definitely hands, and definitely eyes. Now, that being said, there are so many other important parts of the body, depending on what position we're in and what we're doing in our life. Our hips are powerful drivers. 
when we're throwing something, swinging something, um, lifting something, knowing how our hips can initiate or assist in sequencing of emotion, um, it's paramount to success. If you don't have the hips included in the in the driver, we're gonna miss out. Um, can you give us some examples of like how we add hip drives? Like, okay, hip driver. Well, what does that mean? What's a what's an exercise that just by adding a hip driver becomes a more challenging or more functional, uh, a more intentional exercise? Literally, our hip drive matrix. We call it hip drive matrix. Was just taking a plank and turning it into a moving plank. So if you're in a prone position, whether you're on your elbows or on your hands plank position, we use the hips as a driver to move through the hips. So a sagittal plane hip driver kind of looks like you're flowing in and out of downward dog. Uh, But using the hips to decelerate motion, maybe not going all the way to the floor, but coming back to that neutral position. Um, But you're getting lengthening and shortening of your core tissues and of your hip tissue, which is going to, again, make your muscles accelerate and decelerate motion, which I always, and we go through all three planes. You drive in the frontal plane, you drive your hips side to side, you drive your hips, you say like pocket to floor, right? Rotating the pelvis, uh, a rainbow butt is what I like to call it. Make make a nice little arc with the hips. Uh, And it challenges your core to decelerate motion in all three planes. A little bit more challenging too with your thoracic spine locked into place because your hands are locked in. Feet wiggle a little bit, so you get a little bit more hip mobility, but using your hips as a driver. Functionally, you know, everybody's like planks, great. Do like 17 minutes of planks or a minute of planks and you're just rigid and holding position, which can be great, right? Isometric core stability, but at no point in my life, in my day-to-day functional lifestyle, am I holding a position like that for a minute at a time? What I do need is core strength through motion. I need like stability through motion. So adding in a hip driver challenges your tissues to have more stability, but through controlling mass and momentum, which is every single day. You know, I go to pick up a box or pick up my daughter or, you know, throw the dog around. <laughs> you know, that's like, you need that stability and that action. But it's a uh, other good ways, like proprioceptively, challenging somebody to use their pelvis as a driver as opposed to um, their arms or their back. Like how often do we see people who have poor sequencing when going to just throw something or squat and pick something up? Hips are like left in the dust. Like the hips are like, what about me? Dude, they're the most powerful part of the body, literally. Hips are the most powerful part of the body and uh, they need more love. They do. And I think that's why it's important to understand as we dive deeper here, um, we're setting a framework. Again, we've, we've, been, we've talked about the environment. We've talked about an action. We've talked about the triangulation, so the height, direction, and the distance. So, you know, how far are you going to drive those hips? Are we going initial range or medium range or end range. Each of those have a purpose. Don't always just go end range. Sometimes we got to go initial. If you're only going initial, probably work your end ranges. Let's work the spectrum of effort. Uh, that being said, we haven't talked about something that I think is even more important than all the rest is where do we start? We assume that we're starting in a standing position or we assume that we're starting in a plank position or we assume that we're, you know, these ones that we've been taught, the standard, which are very sagittal plane dominant positions. Mm-hmm. Um, a way to just step outside of your comfort zone and expand your box is to look at what position you're in while doing these things. I'm talking about traditional lifts are fantastic. Building strength, building speed. Are we going to stay in those same positions because that's where we have the best leverage while in real life we may not be in a best leverage position? Or can we start to ask our body or communicate to our body in such a way that we say, okay, we're in a disadvantageous position. This is actually a very dangerous position. This is a zone that I go, oh shit, I don't think I should be moving from this. What if we put ourselves into some of these, not necessarily crazy positions, just outside the norm of traditional lifting? We And we go into 
biasing a plane of motion. Um, and, and I'll preface this too, we've, we talked about a lot of planes of motion, and this goes around in this industry quite a bit. It's like, yeah, but you're using all three planes all the time. Yes, we totally get that. You're always rotating every single joint in every part of, that of your body, you know, or every time you're doing a motion. But there are parts that you're isolating or you're trying to integrate on a more global or more local level that if you are aware of the communication to that to your body in that position or in that action, you can actually collect more movement data proprioceptively for your body to make a better decision in real time. So while we're training, we're consciously integrating a specific plane, which we know is going to integrate all their planes and other parts of the muscle, but we may be isolating a certain area of fascia, a certain chain of motion that brings awareness to something that may have been a dead space, an area that's not getting the love. Um, so what are some positions that we, we use standard, I think, in our nomenclature, um, not only in one-on-ones um, and with yourself, but in group? Like, now our members have actually started to understand some of the nomenclature. I mean, we could use a kneeling position. Kneeling position, upright stance, um, prone, supine, and bridge position. Quadruped is our is the new one, like tabletop position, um, where you have bent knees underneath you, so it's not a full plank position, but that tabletop position. Single leg balance, you know, all, all these different, you know, even bench press, different position, right? Uh, we could have one foot on a box, you know, all sorts of asymmetric loading that we use, which I think is way more functional than just being in one completely balanced, traditional setting. I think most of the time, when people go, oh, I, I hurt myself doing this, what was it doing? It was doing something that they, they deem, quote, unquote, weird and funky, but that's weird. That's life. Life is weird and funky. So I think it's ironic that traditional training has you train in these super safe, rigid, structured motions, but that's not life. You know, that's like, we don't, we don't move like that. My favorite right now are all the parody videos for like how you put your backpack on and it's like, you just turn it into a hang snatch and it's like all of these super rigid <laughs> motions. Like I've never seen anybody put their backpack on like that because it's not, it's, it's harder, right? It's more work to try and do that than to just like rotate and bend over and grab all of that. But that's for some reason, that's how we've been convinced that that's a, a functional style of training. But I think too, you, you bring up a good point. Like the, I love the parody videos of like a hang snatch with the backpack and, <laughs> and then he walks out and his arms are red, like straight lines. It's all sagittal frontal plane. Yeah. No transverse, no rotations. Um, I think as a, as a society, especially this Western culture, we're just unaware of the positions that we're in in our day-to-day. And the only real conscious physical thing we do potentially is at the gym. Mm-hmm. That's the only time we're conscious. And if we're conscious at the gym, how can we use that time if it's 45 minutes to an hour and a half, let's say, for the average individual three times a week? They come in and they're doing primarily bracing core, sagittal plane lifts that are building strength. They are getting stronger. They are losing weight. They are feeling more active and, and powerful than they were 10 years before. But they're feeling achier, some discomforts here and there. And like they can't, they're still afraid to go play rec soccer or go on that trail run or go do the obstacle course race because they don't want to hurt themselves and ruin the progress that they've made with their training. Mm-hmm. And I think this is where there's an opportunity to kind of flip that script is that, well, if we can bring in some of those positions that you unconsciously visit throughout your day, you go pick up a shoe off the ground. Just think about how you pick up the shoe. Every single person who's thinking about this right now probably is doing it in a slightly different way. Even if it's a 
if it looks pretty close. They're probably doing it slightly different, how the hip is, how their knee is, how their back is, which hand did it, which foot did it, um, which angle they're at, right? Um, or how you pulled the water, filtered water jug, the Brita, out of the fridge. Or how you loaded the top load washer. Yeah. Or unloaded your dryer. Then some of these positions that we, we don't necessarily think are that important, it's just we're doing chores. They're actually physical experiences, physical opportunities to connect deeper to our body. I'm not saying you need to have a great time. Oh, I'm going to go do the laundry later and say I got my reaches and my squats and my lunges in. But we can be aware of, okay, I just reached for something. I got a little twinge in my back. Oh, my gosh, I haven't done any rotation training at all the past five years. Maybe I should integrate some rotational training. If we can bring in some of these positions that maybe aren't exactly like real life, but split stances, toes in or toes out, wide or narrow feet, and some single leg bounds or some kneeling positions. I mean, we see it day in, day out of the, the level of success people come in with, or the level of excitement they come in with saying like, oh my gosh, when I did this, I walked up my stairs the other day and I didn't have to use the handrail. I, I reached for something, my kid was falling and I was afraid that I was going to tear something on my shoulder and I was fine. You know, there, there's so many examples of day-to-day things that we just write off as like, I'm getting older. Um, this is just how it is. Um, I made stupid mistakes and now my, my body hurts. I'm just going to have to reap the, the, the consequences of it. Versus we can change that script inside of the gym and say, let's work these positions and let's talk about these positions in a way that aren't just about lifting. They're about making you better in real life. And one thing I want to, I'm reiterating too, like if we're in these quote unquote funky positions, we're we're doing sub-max loading, right? This is not, you know, powerlifting. If you're trying to max out, you're, you're going to want some structure to that. But in my day-to-day, at no point am I deadlifting 185 outside of the gym. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I love traditional. I love some traditional lifts and powerlifting. But I'm not going to do 185 with rotation and, like, a single leg balance. Like, I personally can't. I'm sure there's some people who can. But that's, like, that's different. But if I'm taking a 10-pound mace or a 10-pound fit fighter and adding in some rotation and doing something crazy. Like that's a different, I'm providing my body the capability of motion, not just like lifting does not have to mean or strength training does not have to mean max loading all of the time. It could be sub max loading and just teaching your body how, how to understand movement with load. I think it's, it's yeah, a good cool point to understand. We, too, should, we should definitely dive into the whole sub max loading things. I think it's a different way of looking at training. It definitely exists in the, the hit style training that's outside of the, the powerlifting realm. Um, but a lot of people are going either too light, like they're not feeling the action. It's in its entirety, they're expressing it entirely and saying, okay, I'm not getting any benefit out of this. Well, it's one thing to swing a five pound weight from your hip to your opposite side shoulder, like a seatbelt swing, diagonal swing. It's another thing to swing that thing for 45 seconds with some speed and stopping it or accelerating and decelerating very quickly. Mm-hmm. So you feel your fascial lines essentially working in that pathway. Mm-hmm. You do something slow and you don't feel very much. You do something fast, your body's like, whoa, we got to get some other proprioceptors mm-hmm. on board here because yep. we're going to fall over. Or, oh my gosh, my foot kind of twisted a funky way because of that momentum. So exposing, again, I think it's, it all comes down to more movement data so that you can be better off in real life mm-hmm. and enjoy yourself and not be afraid of hurting yourself because you haven't trained for that thing. Your kid wants to go play catch. 
Have you done any rotational single arm swings or like med ball catapult throws or some kind of angular motion with momentum? Maybe, maybe not. And if you haven't, you should probably get a good dynamic warm up before you go throw play catch. Um, but if you have been doing it, who's to say you need to go do a 10, 15 minute warm up? Just go pick up that ball and throw it because your body's ready to go down that pathway. Whatever we train it for with pressure, with consciousness, with load something that puts tension on our body, our body's going to adapt to that stimulus. So if we're just putting heavy, heavy weights on it, we're going to be fucking strong. We're going to be strong. But are we strong just in that motion pattern? Are we strong in life? And when I see, when I think of strength, strength isn't just how much weight you can lift. That's such a prehistoric way of looking at strength. And I think it's a very important gauge of strength as people know it but strength can be mental it can be physical it can be spiritual and strength can be multi-dimensional and in different ranges and relative to the task that you're doing if the task is to do a max deadlift and that's your definition of strength more power to you but if somebody has another power another definition of strength that involves their ability to carry their laundry basket that's full of their kids and there's their team one trip they're trying to do it all in one to the laundry room that's pretty damn strong mm-hmm. in my book. Yeah. You can carry the groceries from your car to the house. One trip, six <laughs> one bags. One trip wonder, for sure. Let's go. This is dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to gauge momentum because the bags nowadays, paper bags, can't trust different, them. No, a different Cannot game. Trust them. Different game. I still try to trust them though. Scoop through like, okay. Oh, I sense something moving. Ah, shit. The whole bag ripped. You know, you're like, okay, but do what you can. Yeah. All right. So let's, let's top that. Dive back into the structure that we're talking about. We've had, if we look at it in order, uh, we've got seven things now. Mm-hmm. We've got an environment. We've got a position that we're starting in. Environment that we're in, position we're starting in, the driver of whatever action we're going to do. So there's your four. Mm-hmm. Driver of the action, the action. And then where's the action going? So direction. Triangulation, right? Yep. we got the height. Where's How high is it? And then how far are we going to go? Mm-hmm. Um, then I think those last three, which are important modifiers of that exercise nomenclature, which are the standard in the in the industry, adjust speed, adjust the load, and adjust the time or the duration of doing those things. So we've got that set of foundation, those 10 things. When we go into t- talking about an actual exercise, we're teaching somebody a new exercise. We're not just teaching them a curl. We're not just teaching them a snatch, which all these have their own cues and important pieces that of how you're stacking your hips, how you're stacking your shoulders. When we start to get into more dynamic three-dimensional movements, we've got to think about the intent of what's going on. And the intent is when people come in, they're going to do the action. And then everybody does it just a slight bit different because of their body, what they're asking their body to do, how we can see the communication that's going on internally. Um, some freeze. And it's like, I have no idea. I just need a mirror. And others are going for it and it looks completely off and we can make some adjustments. And others are, have this developed communication where like they can read a movement exercise sentence and then figure it out as they go and find the fluidity or find the intent along the way. So uh, let's, let's talk about some examples of movements. We're just going to come up, come up with a spot. Um, and then we'll go from there. Let's 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 come up with a instead of just a lunge. All right, you have lunges today. What's a gymnasified nomenclature lunge that may, we may have had to work out today? Ooh, great. Um, we are going. Oh, do you want to dive just straight? Let's into go all, d- of d- it? all the way in. Yeah. All right. All right. Um, we've got an un, under bilateral hand under over grip at the mace. 
with opposite side, lateral lunge, or common frontal plane lunge, right? With a reach or a sweep, that same side hand at opposite side knee to a single leg bounce. So that was like, that was not even a great example. That was in one, but I think that was in the workout today. It was in the workout today. Yeah. Um, Man, we've been talking about like the order of what, when we say with versus then versus two, how that now structures your movement pattern and like the sequencing of it, especially when you have a complex move or two moves going from a lateral lunge to a sagittal plane lunge or an anterior lunge, uh, whether it's a reach with at the same time or then or after, right? The sequencing of your of your action and the sequencing of multiple body parts is different. I mean, like that'd be such an interesting topic just to talk about like in the fitness industry in general, we have no real nomenclature, but is it because it's too complex? We haven't we haven't yeah. it's easier to just say like do a bicep curl, do a squat without having to, you know, because for every person that's relatively easy to picture and understand. But if you say, all right, you're going to go right, you know, right hand power block at shoulder, opposite foot does the same side lateral lunge with a reach at knee to a single leg bounce to an overhead press. I was like, wait a minute. I love what you just said because I just visualized the whole thing, but people are going, what the fuck is Clint even talking about? She's speaking hieroglyphic (laughs) language, some wingdings over there. Um, Let's break that down because I think you you brought up a lot of beautiful points of the complexity of it and how that can actually steer people away from wanting to branch into some more functional movements Mm -hmm. because it's it's too complex, it's too weird, but more so... I think as a trainer, I just don't want to be wrong and take my take my client through something that's going to hurt them. So mm-hmm. let's first realize that any movement one person can do, you can build strength in that motion pattern. Yes, and that strength involves the range and like the strength in the length. So we can there's a spectrum of effort. If we just take the simple thing of just a lateral lunge, you literally take your foot to the side and you come back home. It's a great exercise in and of itself. It's a boring ass exercise in and of itself. Not a bad thing. And I'm not saying boring is bad, but if you get stuck in just, I do lateral lunges. Now we are getting lost in only doing something in, a, in one plane that we are structuring our body to handle just that motion. In life, it is more complex. There are multiple drivers. We have lower body, we have upper body, we have our brain, our own thoughts going on. Sometimes we're not even thinking about what's external, it's just what's happening inside of our body. And a lot of times we're only external. We're not even thinking about what's going on inside of us. We're just reacting to our environment. So in order to set our clients up for success, we need to be able to progress and exercise, not always to just the most complex thing possible, but in order for them to communicate to a lower half and upper half and then to do that with fluidity, to do that with intent so that what they tell their body to do is it actually doing that thing or is their body subconsciously compensating, bailing out somewhere or showing that, hey, I'm not ready for this level of progression. Though they might be able to do something in real life in reaction mode, as soon as we break it down and say, hey, let's slow this down a little bit and put into some parts and re- reduce it, it's like saying, hey, let's, let's uh, assess your gait. Somebody walked in and now all of a sudden you're assessing their gait and they're like, I don't know how to walk anymore. Do I need to think about my toe in, my heel striking first, my left hand swings back, when, where do my eyes go? And am I supposed to flex my core? When do I breathe? It's yeah. like, hold on, let's, let's step back from this. It says more so, let's just look at the basics. So let's, let's start with the, we've already looked at the 10 OEs. Now an actual exercise written in its format so that we can dive into the to, the when, the with, the ands and all that, all the conjunctions. How we write it at Gymnazo and with our MDMCs is we start with just addressing 
the position that you're in and the tool that you're using, followed by a comma. So let's say we're going to do a, a, a dumbbell lunge. Our start position before the comma is bilateral hand dumbbell at shoulder, comma. We're ready to go. We are in position. We are in our environment. We assume we're in an upright stance, but we could also do this from a kneeling one. Right, but mm-hmm. let's say we're in an upright stance, bilateral hands at shoulder. If we can get somebody in a start position, they are successful, and now we can build on top of that. It's like, oh, we want to teach our kids how to read. Here's a book. They may yeah. be able to teach them how to read, but chances are they need to know what letters are, they need to know what words are, how to sound stuff out, context clues of making meaning. So how we make meaning with this in nomenclature is we start with the foundation. Mm-hmm. We need to know what all these words mean. First of all, I said bilateral. And what's a, what's a dumbbell? Maybe somebody doesn't know a dumbbell. So it may be worth just introducing some simple things with a dumbbell, like a curl, your standard traditional lifts. Mm-hmm. If they don't know how to do that, and now you're going to go into something really dynamic, it's not going to work very well, probably. Yeah, no. You could try it. Then maybe learn by doing. But um, let's start with a beginning position. Then we go into, after the comma, so by the hand power block at shoulder. Now we need to know what's our action, where are we going, how far are we going, how high are we going. So triangulation with our action. And then any modifiers, but let's keep it simple. It's a lateral lunge. So to the side, the action is a lunge, and we come back home. So that drill that we just said, hey, do side lunges, we gave them an opportunity to recognize that they have loaded their chest, they have a start position, and they're going to go into it and come out of it. And we can build on top of that language, right? Let's say, what what could we add to this, Kalina? We're, We're done with just doing lateral lunges holding these dumbbells at our chest. We could add in a reach. Cool. Give me one reach. We're going to do a opposite hand reach at the outside of the knee that's lunging. The same okay. side knee. We'd say the same side knee. So if we wanted to nomenclate it, right, because it's like long form, we're talking mm-hmm. to somebody through this, but if we want to make a shorthand note on our sheet to know what we did, bilateral hand power block at shoulder, mm-hmm. comma, Lateral lunge with opposite side power block or dumbbell reach at lateral knee. Boom, and then you come back home. So now you're just reaching that one hand across the knee and pulling it back. Just added a whole bunch more things to this. Now we may not be going for just lower body. Maybe we're trying to teach somebody how to pull a weed. They're stepping to the side, they see a weed, and they pull it. Like, man, I do yard work and I'm always hurting my low back afterwards. Well, maybe in this drill, we just expose something that is a weakness. And we see how they do it. Are they doing it fluidly? Were they able to communicate to that opposite side hand? And what happened? Were they able to stabilize when they came back or did they lose balance? We now have a bunch of data points that we can help progress this person. We can either then reduce it and say, let's just work on the dumbbell reach and let's just work the lateral lunges and then put them two together. And now the progress is complexifying the motion. Uh, Can you add one more dynamic piece to that? Yeah, yeah. All right, we're going to go opposite hand, reach at lateral knee, then overhead press. So like same side hand, overhead press. Then same side, okay. Then same side hand, overhead press. So so we'll we'll say, (laughs) all right, so start position, you got bilateral hand, power block at chest, right? Same side lateral lunge with opposite hand, reach at lateral knee, hold. Then... Opposite hand, overhead press, two single leg bounce. 
stops at FTSE million pounds. Perfect. So now this is actually beginning to turn into flow language that exists like with, with uh, sequencing multiple parts. It's chaining them together. You can do this with any piece of equipment, with any methodology. You chain one motion to the next motion, and what is life? It's just a chain of one motion to another motion, a chain of one position to another position. The experience is the transitions from those positions. We could be sitting at a desk for four hours, and then the nomenclature for that is uh, seated anterior face computer. (laughs) Okay? Four hours. (laughs) We know things happen in that time. So just like... You're training your body 24-7 for something. If it's sitting down, if it's walking, and then in the gym, it's lifting. Well, how is your lifting carrying over to real life? Well, what Kalina just demonstrated uh, with that motion, with that nomenclature, was somebody pulling a weed and then tossing it into the trash can and then reaching for something up overhead or going into a single leg balance, so building stability on that one foot. Knowing that when you're doing yard work, you're not probably not doing the single leg balance, you're probably just coming back to both feet, but you are now training for more than what, you're training beyond for what you need, basically. So you're setting yourself up for more success in life, you're making that easier, putting yourself through something more complex, or a little bit more uncomfortable, a little bit more load, a little bit faster um, in that gym setting, but it's carrying over directly. Now, where we're going with this is that we're essentially setting up somebody who comes in, no matter what level they are in terms of awareness of uh, their body, of physical training, gym etiquette, whatever, we're setting them up for success and finding where they are on their path so that they come in, let's say it's, they don't even have discomfort. They're just, they feel weak. They feel out of touch with their body and they just need a routine. Where are they? If we just start with our standard lifts, we may actually know, not ever know where they are functionally. We only know where they are strength-wise in the traditional sense of they can lift this amount of weight for this many reps and we're building strength. Or they can go this fast or they can go this far before they fatigue. It's, a, it's not a great starting point to just have those data points, although those are good to know for your fitness sake. What about functional movement sake? We need to consider all of the motions that somebody may be going through in a day-to-day basis. Sitting, standing, walking, lunging, the, the eight fundamentals that we talked about earlier. But I think where the most of the power subs, uh, sits in this is not in the ability just to help somebody build a bridge. It's actually communicating across multiple channels of coaches and other trainers so that now that one person's not just stuck with this one person and their language and how they talk and then have to go to another practitioner, or another doctor, or another physical therapist and say, it's just all different languages. Where do, I, where do I go? I can't do all of these things. Meanwhile, we know that no one thing is going to be good for the person. Sometimes you got to go to medical. Sometimes you got to go um, alternative. Sometimes you just got to go do some fitness. Sometimes you got to do something yourself and go meditate. But if we have a universal language, something that unites us in this field, how much better it will be for the athlete coming in, the client coming in saying, oh my gosh, you're talking the same language that I know, or you're helping me continue to grow. I've been working with these trainers, and then I go move here, and then you guys are speaking something whole different, and I feel limited. Uh, what has been your experience from, I mean, you've been here for eight years um, at just Gymnazo. Mm-hmm. Um, learning this language? Where have you seen some of the biggest wins, the biggest gains, um, kind of those light bulb moments of like, oh, this is, like this is the power of the nomenclature embodied? I think seeing it, seeing it roll over into your clients and their understanding of movement and being able to articulate a complex move, you know, not to somebody who's brand new, but for clients who have been here, our vintage clients, 
That's what we came up with today, vintage clients. Um, yeah, the understanding of communication and how, I mean, as, as a coach too, when you can talk to your athletes and talk to your players and they know exactly what you're saying, uh, it's super powerful and it just elevates their level of movement understanding. I think from literally from an athlete perspective, when you're coaching the game, whether it's soccer or football or basketball, and you've created a team environment and your teammates, your players, your coach, you all speak this same language, right? It keeps you on one page. You have a cohesive goal. Um, but to be able to say, hey, hey, make this adjustment or do, go do this, and they know exactly what you're talking about. I think it's powerful in their their understanding. But empowering them to move and understanding their bodies, I think nomenclature has been super powerful to be able to articulate that language and communicate to somebody what they're doing and giving them awareness of their own bodies has been very, very powerful. Um, I think it's a struggle in other gyms or facilities when you don't have that. I think it limits you in movement awareness and understanding and how you how you relate. I mean, like all of the best teams I've been a part of, we've all had this language and understanding of what we're doing. And I think that just translates over into the into our facility. Same way. Yeah, there's a with the nomenclature that exists, there's there it is a limitless framework. The framework is set, but you can expand in all directions with whatever intent you want. We didn't dive too much into the full intent, but it could be as simple as changing the speed, changing the um, time you're doing it, and changing the load with which you're doing it, or the tool in which you're doing it. Something with a barbell versus a 45-pound a barbell versus a 45-pound kettlebell, you do the same action, it's going to be a whole different experience. Mm -hmm. Um, or things that we've in included, which we'll dive in deeper into other podcasts, is things like chi torque or coiling um, or flow and bringing in an intent into your movement that now has an expression and now has something that you can connect with and drill deeper. Um, I, I really like to dive into kind of the whole emotional component of training for me personally. Sometimes I'm just training just to get my sweat, and other times I'm training like, man, what is going on here? And the nomenclature framework of 3d movement afs it sets up a, a a path that there is no end there's a beginning and you recognize where you start can you get back to that beginning position it's something as simple as i want to do a common lunge matrix flow you know the difference of okay i'm gonna i could say i do an anterior lunge i could do a lateral lunge i could do a rotational lunge but i could go anterior lunge then the other foot do a lateral lunge and then the other foot do a rotational lunge and it becomes this beautiful sequence in an art that I can modify and anybody can modify. And I think that's the beauty of it is that nobody, once you kind of have set yourself up in the nomenclature, you use it for how you need it. Um, it's a language that sets up, uh, that d removes barriers. It kind of opens up doorways for somebody to go like, I... If they're in fear, I told them not to do that. I told them not to let my knee go beyond my foot. Well, today we're going to drive your knee beyond your foot. You could say it's a knees over toes guy stuff, or you say, hey, we're just adding a driver that's knees over your toes. How'd you feel? Felt fantastic. Uh, and along the way, you might find, especially if you're uh, a deeper diving scientist, saying, oh my gosh, this motion pattern that I've been working with with clients is now helping them out of back pain. What's going on here? Mm -hmm. I just wanted to help them move better and more freely. But now these people are actually out of pain. What is going on here? Well, without the nomenclature, it's really tough to say exactly what it, you're, what it is that you did. Oh, we did some overhead presses. We did some lunges. There are a million more, one more ways to do lunges and do presses. You better tell me exactly how you did it if you're mm -hmm. going to say that's how it works. 
Um, so I, I encourage any coaches listening to this, any athletes listening to this that want to be on a deeper communication with your body, understand what's on your body, your drivers, hands, fingers, wrist, elbow, shoulder, spine, hips. I was actually sitting in a yoga class once and they like took me through a body scan. I'm like, all of these are potential drivers of my life. <laughs> it was like so profound. I was like, ah, but I use my feet and my hands, my eyes. It's okay. But there's, there's opportunities there to just expand. And so it helped me actually get out of being stuck of like, there's got to be more to this lifting thing than machines and heavy weights. I'm not feeling my strongest. What's going on? Yeah. I love hearing too from people like how, you know, again, nothing wrong with traditional lifting, but for some people it gets redundant and it gets repetitive. How many people don't come back to the gym because they don't know what to do or they don't know that that actually there is limitless movement potential. And it's not just curls, squats, machines. It's so much more than that. And to be able to articulate that and find a flow, something that has transition zones, something that's free moving and global. Like our life is global. Life is not very local. Like when it comes to actually like functionally getting up and doing things and having that language and being able to articulate that and show people that so powerful and so much fun. One of the, it makes me think about one of the first drills we did, like coming in and learning about nomenclature is pick three things you do in your day and nomenclate it. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize how powerful that was. And even when I was at, when we went to Great Institute and they do the whole nomenclature talk, it's, it's a long talk just talking about language, mm -hmm. but really embodying it and recognizing, like, wait, I'm telling my body to do all these things that I'm unaware of all these things that it's doing. And now I have to write it down and become aware of what my body's doing without me telling it to do. Oh my gosh, I'm con you're connecting mind and body. Mm -hmm. And it felt to me, it was soulful. I was like, oh my gosh, this, <laughs> this path I'm going to walk for the rest of my life. <laughs> I hope others will walk it too. So it's really fun to communicate with other coaches who speak it too. Yes. Speak the nomenclature. Because, uh, man, Coach Lucas, when I first started, he, he took us through the nomenclature challenge and read like probably a five-sentence exercise. And, you know, you're processing it one step at a time, and it's like just go one step to the next step to the next step to the next step. Okay, come back to the start position. One step to the next step to the next mm -hmm. step to the next step. And re recognizing that our bodies are so much more capable of what we've been led to believe. Because we're limited by our own language. I mean, even the English language itself. We're using English to talk about movement nomenclature, right? Uh, other languages themselves. But we think in that language. And in other languages, it's, they're thinking as well, but thinking completely differently. Mm -hmm. This language is one of those universal languages that is of movement. That we're, not, we're giving you truthful words or words that come from truth of what you are doing. Like, and we've defined a lunge as this, a squat as this, and even so far as add terms like squalunge. It's My both. Favorite Jamaica words, <laughs> squalunge. Um, and that's just kind of how it, how it has, to, has to, we have to move forward. If we don't move forward with this level of communication that is universal, um, there's going to be a lot of different methodologies out there that are all separate, but there's going to be a lot more fighting and competition versus understanding that we're all able to move. We're all able to come up with novel things within our movement patterns. We just give them fun names. And the nomenclature exists in um, very simple, reduced terms in terms of planes of motion and actions um, and directions. And it's also in a very artsy way of expression. And so depending on which methodology you use, you can go either route. In fact, I encourage you to go the route of expression first and just play around with stuff and then 
How do you teach that to other people? They may not be related to, the, they just see what you're doing and want to do it. They don't care about the artsy fartsy shit that you throw in there and the emotions that are part of it because they don't, they haven't built that bridge yet to themselves. What they can do is go through steps. Do this, then do this, and then do this, and then just keep doing this, and then do that. Do this, with this, then that. And in that process of, of weaving together our intent and our action, that's where expression can actually start to come out because we've unlimited ourselves to what we thought we could do. And we just got taken through by another coach, taken through something that was a little bit weird, a little bit flowy sequencing, and felt like I was dancing, but felt like I was working out. I'm tired and I'm winded. That felt kind of good. I'm smiling at the end of this. These, this nomenclature can help bring out these deeper layers of ourselves the more we're able to take others through it um, and communicate to ourselves and see like, okay, where am I at today? What am I capable of? What am I not capable of yet? Maybe I can't do a certain weight or a certain speed or a certain range, but today I can do this range. It's still an exercise. Maybe you're not doing an ATG squat, an grass squat, technical term, I hear. But maybe you're able to do a medium range of motion squat today. Okay, we're doing medium range of motion, medium range of motion squats today and come to terms with that versus like, I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Let's put ourselves on the spectrum of effort what is it we can do in terms of that motion? How can we down tweak and up tweak? And I think that's one of the the biggest things that we can do as coaches is to help others find their success threshold for that day. Uh, Kalina, been beautiful chatting with you. You want to have any closing remarks on nomenclature or uh, steer people like, hey, uh, I know we just chatted a lot about nomenclature and said a bunch of funky words and hieroglyphics that you may have seen. Yeah, if if you're a trainer who wants to know more about nomenclature and how we do that, how do how do you articulate in writing what we just talked about. Where would somebody go to learn more about how we nomenclate? Uh, Gymnasio EDU has a beautiful set of classes, uh, courses on there that we have our, we have our full MDMC, multidimensional movement coaching certification. That's about a, a three to six plus month course uh, with group coaching calls where you actually ask questions and we deep dive into different movement patterns and get good at speaking the language of movement. Um, but if you don't want to go that fully committed route yet, you just want to start to tap into what we're chatting about. Uh, we do have a spherical movement course that was just launched uh, earlier in June. It's a beautiful way to not go too deep into the dive and the wormhole of words, but more so in just embodying the sphere of your movement and seeing the potential of what that's what that looks like, what that feels like. Great starting point there. Um, and then we have some courses along the way that kind of dive deeper into the philosophy of it, more the physics of it, more the biomechanics of the matter. And I think they're all important. It's just a matter of where do you find yourself uh, gravitating towards. If it's just for yourself, cool. If it's for your, your clients, cool. Let's dive deeper and communicate uh, so we can start building this wave even heavier. Party wave. Love it. Party wave of nomenclature. Cool. Also, check it out. Check us out on Instagram, Gymnazo Edu. Uh, Gymnazo, you can check out Kalina. What's your Instagram? Uh, Kalina Ruskin. Yeah, powerful stuff on there, girl. And then also on a Movement Exploration channel, we use the nomenclature in our posts. And often, we'll if you got comments or questions about what that stuff means, just ask. Just reach out. We're happy to explain more. Uh, the best thing you think you can do is not assume you know what somebody else is doing because you saw it. Ask questions. Ask questions. Ask why. Um, Try it for yourself and we can all grow together. So until next time, y'all, peace. Hey, y'all. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, 
please share with your fitness obsessed friends and peers who are also navigating this world of fitness and trying to succeed with the trends and misinformation. As you guys can see, this podcast is basically a masterclass for trainers wanting to level up in their coaching skills and their fitness business model. Relaunches in 2020 because you and your fitness tribe deserve to see an unfiltered look at all the aspects of what it takes to stand out as a next generation coach and build a successful fitness business. So share it far and wide. And please, when you do, do me a favor, take a screenshot of this screen and share it to your social media accounts and use the hashtag Gymnazo Podcast. That's hashtag Gymnazo Podcast. That way we can see you and share your post with our audience. And finally, when you're ready to go to the next level as a coach or in your business and to reach more people, please go check out gymnazoedu.com. We have put together the best 90-day coaching program on the market for trainers wanting to become a masterful practitioner and build a business that gives them the freedom and impact. So let us help you do just that. We have online training and one-on-one coaching to guide you through a full 90-day certification. We even get you training our clients live because it's always better to work out your kinks on someone else's clients than yours. But we promise you this, your clients will be blown away by the transformation our program will help you make. You'll be masterful at a whole new level and part of an incredible community of coaches worldwide taking their skills to the next level. So if you thought today's episode had some fire to it, and inspired you to take action, wait until you see what we deliver on this program. So just go to gymnazoedu.com and we'll see you on the other side. Remember that turning your passion for fitness into transformation and sustainable business is critical to reaching the people and lives you were put on earth to help. It matters and truly can make an impact in other people's lives. So I hope you do that. Keep sharing your passion and we'll talk to you soon.